Good morning, church. It's great to be with you. Last week, Pastor Andrew kicked off our new sermon series, Flourish, by introducing the spiritual formation toolkit we have developed. And he spoke about the important part that scripture plays in our personal spiritual growth. Today, we're turning our focus to the next part of the the toolkit. We're going to be looking at prayer. Sunday, the 7th of February in 2007, was a significant day in my life. Not only was it the first time that I attended divine service, but Pastor Tony preached the best sermon about prayer that I have ever heard. Unfortunately, I cannot find my journal from that time, so I can't tell you exactly what Tony said. But it revolutionized my prayer life and helped me to develop a much deeper, closer, and more intimate relationship with Father God, my friend Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Please don't think that I have it all together or that I know everything about prayer. I stand here as a fellow pilgrim on a lifelong journey towards intimacy with God. Prayer is a privilege. Have you ever thought of it like that? You have the opportunity to commune with the God who created the universe, the sun, the moon, and the stars. The God who holds the oceans within their boundaries. The God who gave you breath. This almighty and everlasting God is interested in you, your hopes, your dreams, your successes, your failures, your character, and your career, and much more. Isn't that an amazing thing to ponder? Prayer works when we take the time to pray. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have seen God change situations, me, circumstances, and turn things around in so many ways. Another thing about prayer is that it doesn't have to be long with eloquent words or Bible verses. In fact, My quickest answer to prayer was a prayer that it was only one word long. It was just after Graham and I had moved to Hong Kong and I had slipped and herniated the L5-S1 disc in my back. This has affected the nerve in my right leg and it was turning blue, which was quite scary. I was admitted to hospital, and after three very painful days of traction, it was getting worse. The surgeon told me he was going to operate that evening. He told me that the nurse would prepare me for the operation and what would happen after the operation, and he walked away. The nurse told me that I would need to lie flat for four to six weeks, to allow my back to stabilize and that I would not be able to move at all. I would have to use a bedpan and be washed by the nurses. This was quite a lot for me to take in. 
We had only been in Hong Kong for two months. I was in a world of pain, in a new city and a new culture. And now I was going to be confined to a bed for four to six weeks. And the food was not that great in hospital. Once the nurse walked away, I uttered my one-word prayer. Help! Immediately, the surgeon came back and said, by the way, I won't go home tonight until you have woken up after the surgery and I have seen you walk. I was shocked. I asked him why I didn't need to lie flat for four to six weeks. And he told me that he was trialing a new keyhole surgery if I wanted to try it, or I could have the other form of surgery if I wished. I assured him that I would prefer the new keyhole surgery, which was successful. Could that have been a coincidence? Given the immediate and sudden turnaround after my prayer, I don't think so. God knew the timing. He knew the encouragement it would bring me. And I am so grateful to him. We're going to watch a short film about prayer. I wonder if you will identify with it. Am I doing it right? Is God even listening? Will he answer? You are not alone. The answer to all three of these questions is yes. As we have seen, prayer is as simple as opening your mouth and speaking to God. But we tend to make it very complicated. Prayer is like a muscle and we need to exercise it for it to develop. I had fantastic Sunday school teachers who encouraged me to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. That became my habit and was how my prayer journey started. Jesus is the best example of how to pray, so he will be our guide. Jesus modeled how important it is to pray, and that made his disciples curious. So they asked him, how they should pray. We read in the Gospels that Jesus prayed alone many times. For example, Mark tells us he prayed in a solitary place. Luke tells us that he often withdrew to lonely places. He spent a night on a mountainside praying to God and that he prayed in private. And all four Gospels tell us how he prayed alone 
in the garden called Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives the night before he went to the cross. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5, where Jesus explains how to pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In verses 5 and 6, Jesus uses the word when you pray, not if, and he encourages us to pray alone and in secret. This is not the only way to pray, but Jesus saw this as important for us to create spiritual foundations in our lives. These times are some of the most powerful for me. It is a time for me to draw close to God and for him to draw close to me. It is when I tell him about the things I am struggling with, worried about, or the things that I need to confess to him. I may also ask questions about the circumstances that I am facing. I pray for other people, and sometimes I will sit and wait for God to speak to me. At times, I need to sit and wait for a very long time, but other times, God starts speaking very quickly. I encourage you to try this out if you haven't already done so. Having some soaking music on in the background may help you to focus. You can go to YouTube and type in soaking music and there will be a few options for you to choose from. If you want to make prayer a daily habit, it is really effective if you plan to do it just after something that is already a habit. For example, once you've finished cleaning your teeth. It makes it much easier to remember to do it. You may want to carve out time in your day when you are not too tired and are in a space where you are alone and, can do, and you can focus. In verse 7, Jesus tells us to use the KISS principle when praying. The KISS principle is keep it simple. What a relief. This means that we can talk to Father God in the same way that we talk to our best friend. We don't have to use fancy schmancy words or pray really long prayers. And that is so liberating. Jesus says something in verse 8 that I found startling as a child. He says... Your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
Once I'd got over that mind-blowing fact, I wondered, well, why do I need to ask Father God if he already knows what I need? It is in asking him to provide for our needs that Jesus ensures that we don't make the mistake of thinking that we provide for ourselves by the work of our own hands. If we do make that mistake, we deny an important facet of God's character, that of Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Then we reach the verses in this passage that form what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. And we find this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The first two words that Jesus used in this prayer would have been totally mind-boggling to the disciples. They are the words, our Father. The disciples had already heard Jesus use the word Abba, which means Father, about God. And he told them how they should pray to him. They may have heard what happened at Jesus' baptism when a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. But now, Jesus was transferring that privilege to them and telling them that they could address God as Father. At this time, the traditional Jewish view of God was as Yahweh, an awesome and frightening God who must be obeyed and who had been silent for over 400 years. Instead, Jesus addresses God as Father, someone who may have seemed a lot more approachable than the awesome God. So when Jesus presented the new concept of God being their Father too, I can imagine how the disciples' minds may well have been blown away by those first two words Jesus used when teaching them to pray. I wonder, how might our conversations with Father God change if we think of him and address him as Father? I know that some of us do not have easy or supportive relationships with our earthly fathers, but Father God is the perfect Father who always has time for us and, in my experience, 
speaks words of love and encouragement to us constantly. If seeing God as Father is painful for you, you may like to speak with Oasis, the Vines Counseling and Psychotherapy Service, or reach out to a pastor or trusted Christian friend and pray through this issue. But in the meantime, talk to Father God as you would your best friend. In the next part of the verse, Jesus is saying that God can see all things and knows what is going on everywhere at all times. And God desires connection with us. Have you ever considered that? Often, when I'm taking visitors to the peak to gaze out over our beautiful city, I am struck by the number of high-rise buildings and myriad lights. I ponder on how each light may be a room with one or two or five or six people in it, and yet God knows about each one of them, their hopes, their fears, their challenges, and their dreams. Then Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means made holy, consecrated, greatly revered, honored. Jesus worships God. He blesses his name. This should form a part of our prayer life. We should honor God and spend time worshiping him telling him how much we love him, how grateful we are, and how we want to become more like him. After this, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is one of the most powerful things we can pray. Praying in God's kingdom over difficult situations is a huge privilege, and it is amazing to see situations change as a result. Also, praying that God's will is done and that his plans and purposes come to pass over your life is a beautiful way to pray for yourself and a very effective way to pray for or intercede for others. If you're interested in praying for others, come and join us this Wednesday at 12.30 for our monthly church prayer meeting. The QR code is on the screen. This is a safe place to come and practice praying for others if you've never tried it before. We'd love to see you there. Jesus models praying your kingdom come in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 26 from verse 39. After he asked God, if he could not go to the cross. Praying your kingdom come brings God's heart in focus, not our own. If you're ever struggling about how to pray for yourself or someone else or a situation, this is the way to pray. It also keeps us humble because we're not asking God to do something that we want, but something that is his will. I wonder how our prayers would change if we spent more time praying in God's kingdom and God's will 
rather than telling God what he thinks, we, what we think he should do. Next, Jesus asks God to give us our daily bread in verse 11. By this, he means that we ask for God to provide for our needs daily. As we read in verse 8, God knows our needs, but this is an important principle. Just as God provided manna and quail for the Israelites in the wilderness daily, we need to ask him to provide for us daily, which he promises to do. Note that that promise does not extend to what we want or what he, we think he should do. How often do we spend time asking God for things that we want rather than for things that we need? In verse 12, Jesus instructs us to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a dangerous prayer. And if we pray this, we need to live it out. But what does it mean? Some translations use debts or sins or trespasses. It means that we need to ask God to forgive us for things that we have done wrong. Times when we have not done something we should have done or anything that we have done that was not what God would have wanted us to do. But we also need to ensure that we forgive others who have done things that have hurt us. God is very serious about us forgiving others, and Jesus spells this out in verses 14 and 15. God takes our reconciliation with others as seriously as our reconciliation with him. Confession is the way that we reconcile with God. It is an important part of our prayer journey and developing our prayer muscle and enables us to receive forgiveness. God is serious about sin and he hates it because of the negative impact it has on our lives our character, and our relationships. Sin is a barrier between us and him, and we don't want anything blocking our relationship with him. But how can we do this? Here is one way you might like to try. I learnt this prayer at Sunday school, which has helped me to be diligent in confessing and repenting. And thanks to Jennifer, it's in today's worksheet. This is the prayer. Lord, I have sinned against you and against my fellow human beings in thought and word and deed. Through negligence, through weakness, and through my own deliberate fault. I am truly sorry and I repent of all my sins. Please forgive me for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, and help me to grow more like you each day. Amen. And as I pray each sentence, I ask Holy Spirit if there is anything that I should be naming and asking forgiveness for specifically. If Holy Spirit reveals something, 
I name it, I say sorry, and I ask God to forgive me. Also, if Holy Spirit identifies something that I need to talk to someone about, I write it down and I make sure that I do something about it. Then the last verse of the Lord's Prayer is verse 13. Some translations say, lead us not to a time of trial. But let's start with the first part of that verse. Jesus is encouraging us to ask for God's help when it comes to not giving in to temptation. Remember, being tempted is not sin, but it is the lure that can lead us into sin or the warning sign that enables us to walk in the opposite direction. Jesus doesn't want us to be led into temptation where it develops into sin. Instead, he wants us to be able to resist what temptation leads us into and instead ask for his help to strengthen our resolve and to help us recognize temptation and see it as a boundary to move us in a bit different direction, not into sin, but away from it. And then the second part of the verse is, but deliver us from the evil one. This is very important. It means that we look to Jesus to deliver us from the enemy and his schemes. We know we are in a very real spiritual battle, but Jesus has won the war. Over the years, the words, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever, amen, or something similar have been added to bring the Lord's Prayer to an end. As we covered verses 15 and 16 earlier, I'm going to summarize by saying that if we lose the Lord's Prayer as a guide to how to pray, we begin with worship, telling God how much we love him, praising him, and thanking him. Then we pray in God's kingdom and will and his plans and purposes for our lives and the lives of those that we love. We then ask him to forgive us for all the things we have done that were not according to his will. And we promise to forgive others too. We then ask him not to lead us into a time of trial and to protect us from the evil one because he is our protector. But let's be realistic with each other now. There are times when we are short of time. And in these circumstances, I have found the teaspoon analogy helpful to remind me how to pray, as I love to cook. The T stands for thank you. Spend time thanking God each day for who he is and for all the ways that he has blessed you. The S stands for sorry. Spend time confessing and repenting of your sins. And the P stands for please. This is where you can spend time asking God for things. And this is often called supplication. 
For example, you might want to pray something like this. And again, it's in today's worksheet. God, I want to honor you today and give you glory. I love you. I invite you to come and be with me in this moment for me to sense your presence. I ask that you would, and here's where you say what you're asking for. Then, as I go about my day, please protect me by your presence and love. Thank you, God. I love you and honor you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. doesn't have to be like that. That's just a suggestion. Praying through scripture is another powerful way to develop that prayer muscle. It also gives space for Holy Spirit to reveal hidden gems within scripture. If you've not done this before, the Psalms are a great place to start. More information about how to do this is in the prayer section of the Spiritual Formation Toolkit. Many of the strategies I've outlined before now are for us to connect with God. But what about when God speaks? And I'm so glad that he does. How do we know that it is him talking? Or if we have heard him correctly? If I think God is saying something to me, I always ask myself these questions, but in no particular order. Question one, does it agree with the Bible? God is never going to say something to me that is different from what he has said in his word. Question two, does it build me up? Do I feel encouraged? If yes, it is likely to be God. Question three, is it surprising? If yes, it is likely to be God. Question four, is it too big for me to do on my own? If yes, it is likely to be God. Question five, does it make me feel ashamed and discouraged? If yes, it is unlikely to be God. God will never shame you or discourage you. Question six, does it make me feel convicted about something I have thought or said or done? If yes, it is likely to be Holy Spirit drawing your attention to sin in your life. Confess it, say sorry, ask God to forgive you and thank Jesus for dying on the cross so that you can receive God's forgiveness. Remember, always check life-changing words from God with a trusted Christian friend or leader. If you don't have a trusted Christian friend yet, Andrew and Sarah O oh will be having a conversation about spiritual friendships in a couple of weeks' time when she will explain how to develop this precious friendship. There are lots of other resources available for you in the prayer section of the Spiritual Formation Toolkit. There are some action steps which include praying daily, keeping a journal, meditating on and praying through scripture, praying creatively, and praying with a friend or in a group. There is also a going deeper section 
where you can plan a half or a whole day retreat. You can find out when the Vine's prayer meetings are. And there's also a link to a previous Vine sermon series called Pray. Click here to take a look. I hope that I've given you some ideas and encouraged you to develop that prayer muscle so that you can enjoy the privilege of prayer. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you love us because you love us because you love us and you'll never stop loving us. Thank you that you're a God who's interested in us, who hears us when we pray and who answers us when we pray. Please forgive us for the times where we haven't remembered to bring things before you. And please help us to grow more and more like you each day. In Jesus' name, amen.